while you are being seated and turn to the 85th Psalm this morning. The 85th Psalm. Next week, we're going to begin working through the second major section of, uh, of Matthew, uh, beginning in chapter 4, verse 12, I believe it is, but um, I just felt like this would be a good contemplation for us this morning from the Word of God to, uh, to look at the psalm and, and uh, just extract what we can, that what the Lord is uh, telling us in it. You know, I believe that uh, Satan is, one of Satan's greatest attacks on the Christian is discouragement. And uh, I can't really necessarily validate that from the scriptures. I, I, I think I can show in places where he does so, but I know that's just kind of from my own experience and, and my own experience and kind of walking through others who have been discouraged in the Christian life. Uh, I believe that that is possibly one of Satan's best and most effective attacks against a Christian is to um, lodge discouragement at him. And discouragement can from, come from a lot of places. It could be, uh, perhaps, it's a sin in your life that no matter how often you think that uh, this is gonna be the end of it, I'm not going to do this again, and yet you find it popping back up in your life over and over and over again. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe for you, it's a relationship that is not working. Maybe it's with your spouse or maybe with your kids or maybe with your parents or, or something like that. Uh, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed this morning by all the things that need to be done in your life and, and everything kind of has that urgent feeling to it and of course, when everything feels urgent, you just feel overwhelmed by everything you have to do and you're just discouraged, wondering if I'm ever gonna get through it. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe it's a habit that you can't break. Not necessarily sinful in and of itself per se, but it's just something that is weighing on your heart and you are over and over again trying to get rid of this habit, trying to get rid of this habit, and yet for some reason you just can't break it. Maybe for you, it's something that you want to happen that just isn't happening. Maybe it's something you want to be true in your life that's just not there. Or maybe you, you're missing out on those promotions at work. Or maybe you are uh, wanting to retire and yet you just can't yet because our economy is in the tank at the moment or, or whatever it is. And you're just wondering, is this ever going to get better? And if, and if you fit into any one of these things, then Psalm 85 is a, is a psalm for you this morning. Psalm 85 is a prayer for the discouraged. It's a prayer for those that they are covenant people of God, and yet, for some reason, all the blessings that God seems to indicate in his law that would happen for the covenant people of God are just not happening. And they're, and they're lifting up their hearts to God and saying, Lord, why? Where, where are you? Why isn't this better? I, I, did, I just didn't think it was gonna be this way. You ever felt like that? You know, beloved, sometimes the Christian life is, is uh, frustratingly difficult. 
It's frustratingly difficult. It just, it just seems like you try to get on the right track over and over and over again, and yet for some reason, you just kind of fall back over and over and over again. And so that's where we are in this psalm this morning. And my purpose for you this morning, my, my goal is that when you leave here, you will know that you can turn to God. You can turn to Christ in the midst of your discouragement. You know, so often when we're discouraged, uh, we tend to kind of go to everything else except God. And yet those are the times when it is most important that we would pour our hearts out to God. Those are the times that we should be drawing near, not pulling away. Those are the times where it might be most tempting to say, well, is God really real? And not only is he real, he is there for you during these kinds of moments. There's an old song uh, in moments like these I don't think the song ever really defines what the moment is, but, but in moments like these, uh, we, need a, we need a savior, or, or I don't know the words exactly, but it's the, it's the just drawing close to him. It's the moments like these that we must, we absolutely must draw near to him. Now, I'm not really sure when this psalm was written. There's debate, and you don't need to know about that. Most believe it was written during the exile, God had made these amazing promises of what the exile would be like, and yet, as we know from history, it was nothing like that. And so there was a lot of discouragement. There was a lot of frustration in the life of Israel at that time, and some of the outworkings of that we see Jesus dealing with in the New Testament in the Gospels. But the point is, is that regardless of when this psalm was written, the language is vague enough to where it could be used in any kind of situation where you find yourself to be discouraged, where life is just simply not working out the way that you think it should. Language is vague enough. It's kind of like when you're just kind of in one of those moods and, and you just want to listen to a sad song, you know? And, and so you put one on and it doesn't even really fit your circumstance, but because it just kind of has that sad tune to it, it just kind of ministers to your heart in that time and you just kind of connect with it. And, and that's kind of what this psalm is doing. That's kind of how the psalm works. And so I wanna look at this morning, how can we, in the, when we are battling discouragement, how can we rely on Christ in the midst of that discouragement? How is it that we can call on him and we can battle that discouragement uh, in Christ. And the psalm is going to give us three encouragements to cling to. Three encouragements to cling to. By the way, with everything going on this weekend, I didn't get a, I didn't get a PowerPoint ready. So, uh, but we're going to look at three encouragements this morning if you're taking notes. And so, beginning in, in, in verse one, I'm, and I'm going to make them really easy for you. The psalm simply tells us to look backwards, look upward, and look forward. Look backwards, look upward, and look forward. And so let's look at these. And in verses one through three, the first thing that, the first encouragement that the psalmist is giving us is to look backward, is to look backward. Look, at, look in verse 85, or verse one of 85. It says, Yahweh, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin you withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. He's telling us here, first of all, that we are to look backward at what the Lord had done 
for us in the past. This is, a, this is a member of the covenant community. This is someone who is in covenant relationship with God. This is someone who remembers what the Lord had done in the past for the people and more appropriately and more specifically, it, it, he remembers what the Lord had done for him individually as a member of that community. And so he looks back and he says, oh, Yahweh, you, have, you were favorable to your land and restored the fortunes of Jacob. The word showed favor. It's a, it's a very delightful term. In other words, God, you delighted in us. You, showed, you were gracious to us like a father who delights in his son. Some of my most proud moments are when my son does something really awesome when my children do something that's really cool. That's some of my proudest moments. And that's, and that's kind of the idea of what the psalmist is saying, that Lord, you have, you have delighted in us. You have, you have chosen us. You have made us your own. It's a precious term. He delights in them. And so much so that he returned their fortunes. And I, and, and I love how this is literally worded because it says, you turned your turning is what it literally means. You restored, you're restoring. In other words, what happened here is that when God had initially turned away from them because of their sin, because of their rejection, and yet now he has turned that turning. He has, excuse me, he has turned back. He has, he has, he has faced them once again. You know, in the garden, when God and man were walking together and they were each facing one another, face-to-face -face relationship with God, and yet man turned from God, and as a result, God turned his face from man. And yet in Jesus Christ and in his grace, God has turned that turning back. He has turned back to us in Christ. And how do you do this in verses two and three? By forgiving the iniquity of your people. We're not just talking about when he says the land in verse one, he's not just talking about real estate. He's talking about the people of God, that you have forgiven their iniquity. You covered all their sins. You see, they understand that in order for God to forgive, he must cover that sin. He must cover it. He can't just let it go. He's speaking of clothing them with something. He forgives by covering. He removes the just penalty, that is forgiveness, but he does so by covering them. And we know in Christ, he has covered us with his own righteousness. He has given us his own garment. He has placed his own righteousness to our account this is a person who understands the kind of relationship that he is in with God. This is a person that he understands where he stands with God. You know, one of my favorite things to do, one of my favorite subjects to teach is spiritual disciplines. I love to 
teach people how to incorporate these different habits and these different practices into your life. We talk about things like prayer. We talk about things like Bible intake and how to meditate on the scriptures. I give you practical ways to do that. And, and we talk about some others. We talk about things like journaling and, and learning. And we talk about fasting and how to fast practically so that it's not such a shock to your system at first. We, we talk about how to, uh, uh, we talk about fellowship and, and what real fellowship entails. Not, not just eating food together, but what you do when you're eating food together and, and, and being together in the week. We talk about worship and what worship is and what it isn't. We talk about all of those things and how to do it practically, how to have less fights with your children on Sunday morning when you're on the way to church. We, we talk about that, believe it or not. We talk about all of those things. It's one of, my, one of my favorite topics to teach, and yet there is an inherent danger in that. I teach something like 13 different spiritual disciplines, and I don't expect anyone to do all 13. You're gonna find one or two that really minister to your heart, and you're gonna do them, kind of like when you go in a gym. But the problem is, the danger is, is that you will view those disciplines as kind of a, as kind of a thing to check off during your day, and that you will grow in Christ by adding these things in your life. And because I do these things, that means I'm going to be more holy and beloved. That is not the point of the disciplines. That is not the point of prayer. That is not the point of Bible study. You never grow past the gospel. All of our growth, all of our holiness, everything that we need in life comes to us through the gospel. And we must always remember, and especially in the midst of discouragement, we must always remember to look backwards. Always remember, always go back to the cross. Always go back to what he did. The Christian life is not about what we do and the things that we check off. It's about what he did for us, that once and for all payment for sin that he has accomplished for us and then applied to our lives. And you will never grow past that. There is nothing we do that adds to that. And I'm, a, I'm an advocate, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself every day of the gospel. Beloved, it truly is the gift that keeps on giving. It truly is an inexhaustible storehouse of grace that God has given us. We grow in it. We gr the goal is not to grow up past the gospel. We don't graduate the gospel. The gospel is everything. It is the basis and it is the continuing of our lives. And so we must look backwards. And then in verses four through seven, we must look upward. We look upward. Uh, by the way, Mark, thank you so much. He, he did that on the fly. So uh, thank you so much, Mark, for doing that. I mean, literally like in the last, what, how long did that take you? Like two seconds? That was amazing. About five, yeah. He is awesome at that kind of stuff. Thank you so much. That's helpful. So verses four through seven, look upward. Look at, a, look at verse four. He says, restore us again, O God of our salvation. Now remember, he just reminded himself of salvation in verses one through three. And now in this song, he is calling out the God who did that. The God who covered our iniquity. The God who forgave us our sin. 
restore us again. By the way, that word restore, this is the fifth time that it's been used in the last four verses. See, in verse one, you restored the fortunes. That's actually, it's used twice there. It's the turn, the turning. You see, you, you withdrew your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. There it is again. Verse four, restore us again. Fourth time, I'm sorry. And then in verse six, he says, will you not revive us again? That's the same word again. And so he's asking, he, he's praying that will you return to us? This is a prayer for revival. This is a prayer for renewal. And it is a prayer in the midst of discouragement. Lord, will you once again restore unto us the joy of our salvation? Remember how much joy you had when you were first saved? You remember the weight that came off your shoulders? Remember how accepted you felt? Remember how much joy there was? And yet when life gets into its routines, when when we begin to discover that the spiritual life is a, is a life of warfare, that we are in the wilderness, we are not in the promised land, that we are the church militant, we are not the church triumphant, not yet. And we begin to get discouraged in the Christian life. You begin to, you begin to learn how great of a hold that sins and sin patterns and habits have on your heart. Some of that joy begins to diminish some of that joy, the, the experience of it begins to kind of get lost, doesn't it? And then we get into our routines and we keep on going. And that's what this psalmist is praying for, beginning in verse four. He turns to prayer. He says, restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. God, don't be angry. We messed up again. Please don't be mad at me. Please don't be upset. Will you be angry with us forever? Verse five, will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? This is a, this is a song that longs to get back to the previous rejoicing of the Christian life. And again, we're not sure of the context uh, most people believe this was written after the exile. It was supposed to be an amazing second exodus, and yet the return from the exile, the return from Babylon was meager at best, never really complete. And the psalmist is wondering, where are the promises that came with all of that? Some others say that he is remembering the Exodus. He is, this is actually being written after the Exodus and, and all of those promises of a land flowing of milk and honey and all of those promises that this was gonna be a land of barley and wheat and, and all of those things and yet there seems to have been a bad harvest and, and now they're looking at this year where they're not gonna be adequately surprised and they're saying, God, where are all of your promises? What gives? What's going on? In other words, the circumstances of life took a turn for the worse. And they're wondering, where is God in this? What's happening? And that really leads us to verse six and seven. Will you not revive us again that your people will rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Yahweh, and, and grant us your salvation. 
Now you say, well, wait a minute. I thought this is the person who is saved. Yes, they are. Look at, look at verses one through three. You see what this person, when he says, grant us your salvation, what he's looking for is not initial salvation. We, we know he has that. His sins have been forgiven. They have been covered. We know he has that. But what he is longing for is the fullness of his salvation. He, he's looking for the benefits that come with salvation. Those things that the word seems to indicate that God's people will have. He's talking about joy. He's talking about abundance. He's talking about all of these things. And he's saying, Lord, I, I don't have those things right now. And according to your word, I'm supposed to, and yet I don't. Will you restore me? Will you bring me back? Will you show yourself again? You know, most of us learn how to pray in church and, and that's a good thing, but truth is so often in church and out, just out of necessity, out of prudence and out of wisdom, we, we tend to kind of sanitize our prayers, don't we? We tend to Christianize them, Right? And then we go home and we pray in private and, and that's how we pray in private too. We, we, kinda, we kinda Christianize our prayers and, and we clean them up to make them acceptable before God. And yet, beloved, look at how this psalmist is praying. God, don't, please don't still be angry at me. God, please restore me. God, I want the benefits of your salvation. I want joy. I want peace. This is a psalmist that is pouring his heart out to God. He's not sanitizing anything. He's not Christianizing anything. He is being open, he is being honest, and he is being upfront with God. And by the way, God knows anyway. And he can take it. He can take it. The psalmist is coming to him. He is, he is disappointed. He's disappointed in the Christian life. Maybe he's even wondering, would life have been so much more peaceful if I wasn't a Christian? Is, would life be better if, if maybe I could go back? I, I seem to have so much more happiness and so much more fun. I, I didn't have all this trouble that came around when I wasn't a Christian. And of course you didn't. Satan wasn't attacking you then. But now you're in the midst of spiritual warfare and you're saying, this is hard. This is really hard. And I can't do it, God. Where are you? Why aren't you helping? You see, the point is the authenticity. The point is the honesty. The point is that we can pour out our hearts to God and not in a disrespectful way, not in a way that is irreverent. I'm not advocating that, but I am advocating authenticity. I am advocating that we just get real with God, that we get real with him. You know, there's this movie, uh, forget the name of it, but uh, it was really popular among Christian circles. And 
It is one of these movies where, uh, you know, you got the stereotypical wicked, evil professor who, who tells his students that you can't believe in God if you're in my class, and one student decides to stand up, and, and all throughout the movie, they, they talk about how I'm defending God, and, and I think there's even a concert at the end where the, the artist says that, you know, I understand there's someone here who defended God, you know? God does not need us to defend him. He's been around a lot longer than we have. And he's gonna be around a lot longer, at least on this earth, he's gonna be around. He's gonna be doing his thing. The church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God can handle your honesty. God can handle your prayers. God can handle your questions. And it's when we pour our hearts out to God, that's when, from the depths of our soul, from the depths of our anguish, that's when we find the comfort. Beloved, and when you're in the midst of your discouragement, that is not the time to sanitize your prayers. That is not the time to try to be a Christian. That's the time to seek after God. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He's looking upward He's praying from the depths of his soul. He's asking, Lord, would you grant me to experience, to know, to live, and to share your faith, your truth even more. Asking God to allow him the fullness of the experience of salvation. I don't remember who it was, but it's like a, a, some old saint of yesteryear. Uh, it was either uh, Alexander McLaren or Spurgeon or maybe it was Wesley, I can't remember. But they used to pray, Lord, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. And that's what this person is yearning for. That's what this person is longing for. Come to God honestly and be honest. And if you don't have a desire to be a person of prayer, pray about it. Lord, make me a person of prayer. Lord, make me someone who's dependent on you. If you love sin more than you love God, confess it to him. Pray about it. Tell him he knows anyway. And so tell him, confess those things to God that you lack and ask for his help. James 1.5 says that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God for it. And the God who richly gives, God who, who generously gives will provide it to you. If you need wisdom in the Christian life, and especially when you're discouraged and call out to him. That's what the psalmist is doing. Look upward. Look to God. And then finally in verses eight through 13, look forward. Look forward. He says, let me hear what God Yahweh will, will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss one another. I wanna stop right there. Just in verse eight, I want you to notice that when he is discouraged, he is going back and he is seeking God. He is, he is not only seeking him in prayer, but he's also listening for him. He's waiting for him to speak. He's searching the scriptures and asking, where is the wisdom that I need? 
When God gives us wisdom, when God gives us the truth we need in the midst of our discouragement, he, we're gonna find it in the scriptures. We're gonna find it in his word. And so search it out, listen to God, listen for God. And the way we do that is through his word. And then we, and then we rest and then we rely and rest in his provision in verses nine and 10. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. You remember James, it says, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. And how true that is in the midst of discouragement. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. And in verse 10, we see this amazing verse. This amazing verse, it says, it says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace, kiss each other. What does that mean? We've talked about this before. You remember that we're going back to this, to this God who has, who has solved the problem that all throughout the Old Testament could never be solved, that you have a God who is just, a God who is truthful, a God who is holy, a God who must punish sin, and yet you also have a God who loves. You also have a God who is merciful. You also have a God who wants to save his people, and a holy God, and a merciful God, holy justice, and compassionate mercy cannot coexist unless something amazing happens. And that is a dilemma that the Old Testament never solves. And yet when we get to the New Testament, we find that his divine justice, his divine wrath on sin and his amazing love and his amazing mercy, all of that meets and kisses one another on the cross of Jesus Christ. Where his amazing holy love comes together with his with his perfect and just wrath. And in Jesus Christ, he solves the dilemma. Righteousness, holiness, justice, and peace, and, and love with sinners, those come together in a perfect covenant unity in Jesus Christ. He poured out both his divine justice and he showed forth his divine love when Christ died on the cross for our sins. An amazing verse. And now in light of that, in light of that truth, look at verse 11. He says, faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Faithfulness springing up from the ground. What is that talking about? Well, look in verse four. Yes, Yahweh will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. How does faithfulness spring up from the ground? In the context of this psalm, it means that the land will, will yield its increase again. It means that God will keep those promises of a land flowing of milk and honey. God will keep those promises of a land that is full of barley and wheat, that there will be abundance in their covenant. There will be abundance of all of that. God is going to keep his promises. How? Because he solved the greatest dilemma of all. And a God who can do that knows how to take care of his people. A God who can apply and who can provide salvation is a God who can help you in the midst 
of your discouragement. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Do you see the connection there? Do you see that logic? If you don't, Paul helps us out. Look in Romans chapter eight. Turn to Romans chapter eight. Once again, this amazing passage that speaks of the perseverance of the saints. But in Romans chapter eight, verse 31, we see this exact logic here where it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Beloved, that's a, that's a question you need to ask yourself. If God is for me, who can be against me? Who is going to accuse me? Who is going to threaten me? Who is going to kill me? If God is for me, then who in the world can be against me? And then watch, and then watch how he argues the exact same argument that we're talking about in verse 32 that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Say, what are the all things? Well, you look back in the verses above to see that. We know that for those who love God, verse 28, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. He is graciously going to give us all things. Is that talking about the Harley Davidson that I want? No. I wish it would, but no. Is it talking about all the prosperity that you want in this life? No. But what is it talking about? It's talking about that promise in verse 28 that for those who love God, all things work together. Beloved, it doesn't say all things are good, but it does say all things work together for the good of those. That, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's this wonderful jigsaw puzzle that God is putting together in order to make us like Christ. This holy chain, this golden chain of redemption that we see in the following verses that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's the all things. There's the all things. So that all things that God is going to do to make you in Christ, all the things that's going to bring the ultimate end of our salvation, which is the glorification of his saints so that you will be like Jesus. God is using everything that's happening in your life, even your current discouragement, to work all of that out to his greatest glory and your greatest good, which is to be like Jesus Christ. And beloved, if there's anything that you want more than that, if you want a mansion more than that, if you want a Harley more than that, which admittedly, sometimes I do, if you want, if there's anything in your life that you want more than that, then believe me, discouragement is gonna be a constant battle in your life. And yet, if we will focus our eyes on eternity, and the ultimate plan that God has to make us like Christ. 
and you can seek him out in the midst of your discouragement and he will provide rest for your souls. Come all, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Are you discouraged now? Beloved God who did not spare his own son for you, he will be faithful to you. He will be. So look forward to his promises. He will be faithful to you. Psalm 85 is a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer for the discouraged. It's a beautiful prayer for renewal. You know, I know at times our church has been discouraged because we're just not growing. We're just not seeing the, the, the baptisms we wanna see. We're just not seeing the growth we wanna see. I know that. I've been discouraged too. But beloved, God is gonna be faithful to us as a church. God is gonna be faithful to you as one of his redeemed covenant members. God is gonna be faithful to us. And when you're discouraged, this psalm teaches you Look backward, look upward, and look forward. And you'll find rest for your souls. So beloved, if you're discouraged this morning, don't run away from Christ. Run to him. Run to him. So, so what can you do? What do you take home this morning? How do you put this into action? Well, number one, Remind yourself that God is always in control. That whatever it is in your life that is causing your discouragement right now, remind yourself that God is always in control and the God who does not allow even a sparrow to go without its appointed food is going to be faithful to you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every grain of sand on the beach. He has named the stars and he took your name to the cross. And so he is going to be faithful to you. No matter how you feel, you are secure in Christ. No matter how you feel. Number two, Proverbs 27, 17. You might wanna write that down. It says that as iron sharpens iron, so, so a, another man sharpens one another. And maybe you're discouraged this morning and, and, you, and you just don't feel like you can approach God, approach a friend. Find a friend. In the, in the words of my favorite theologian, Regis Fieldman, call, phone a friend. Call a friend who will listen to you, who will pray with you, who will mourn with you, who will share and carry that discouragement with you. So find a friend and talk about it. Number three, find a place to be alone with God. So you can be honest in your prayers. You know, sometimes the reason why we have to Christianize our prayers is because we're afraid someone might overhear us, right? And so, find, you know, Jesus talks about go to your closet. Find a private place. Ladies, if you need to, um, go over to Hobby Lobby, find a little wreath and put it on your closet door, your bedroom door, and teach your kids that when that wreath is on my door, I am not to be disturbed because I am spending time with God in prayer. And don't be surprised when you have to train your husband to do the same thing. 
It's just a private place, whatever it is. Men, find a, find a private closet at work or find a, find a work closet you can sneak off to or, or at home or maybe on your drive home or whatever it is. Just get alone with God. Find a private place. And like so many of the Psalms, you might consider keeping a journal, just a prayer journal and just writing these times of discouragement down and then writing it down whenever, whenever you find the answers and when the discouragement lifts. And that may not help you so much right now, but in the next bout of discouragement, you can go back to that and see that God was faithful then. He's gonna be faithful again. And when you have a lifetime of those experiences to draw from, the discouragement is going to be, the discouragement is gonna get less and less and less. You have a lifetime of of God's faithfulness recorded. Maybe in your Bible. Maybe in the margins of your Bible. Something like that. Whatever it is. I would encourage you to do that. That's what so many of the Psalms are. That's what so many of them are. So I hope this morning I have encouraged you. I hope this morning I have taught you that in the midst of your discouragement, you would turn to Christ. That you would do so. You say, well, Randy, I don't, I don't really know how to do that. And the reason I don't know how to do that is because I don't really have the gospel. I don't have a Christ to turn to, but I sure want one. Maybe this morning is the morning you are understanding for the first time that you need to come to Christ for the first time. You're discouraged in life because you have nowhere to turn. You're discouraged in life because you don't have the spiritual help that we're talking about. Maybe this is the morning that you can be drawn to Christ in salvation. Jesus came and he lived that, that life, that perfect righteousness that you need. And then he died on the cross for the satisfaction of the penalty of your sin. Then he proved that it was enough because he rose on the third day victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And now he offers himself to you as a deliverer, as a rescue from the penalty of sin. We have a word for that in the church. He offers himself to you as a savior. Our savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ is ready to save you now. And I would love to show you how you can turn to him in faith alone, in repentance of sin, so that you can have the joy of salvation in your life. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful song that you inspired. We thank you for the one whom you inspired in years past. We thank you for these truths that even in the midst of our worst discouragement and fear, you are available to us. You call on us, Lord, the Scriptures say that you incline your ear toward us, waiting for us to call upon you so that we will know you and we can experience you in our lives. And Lord, whatever the need is here this morning, I dare say that there's probably several here who are discouraged by various things. Lord, I pray that you would draw near to them this morning and, and help them to draw near to you. And not just this morning, but throughout the week as they continually face the, 
discouragements and the, and the problems of the day, the routines and all of that, Lord, that they would draw back to you by whatever means necessary so that they can have your closeness and your nearness to them. And Lord, if there's one here who doesn't know you as Savior, I pray this morning will be the morning that you draw them to yourself. Let's stand together. Let's make this our prayer this morning. United prayer to the Lord.